Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Aaron. I'm Erica. And I'm Amy. And we're back. New season. Season three. Yay. Um, we haven't done this in like a while and it took me a few minutes to figure out, to remember what I was supposed to do. <laughs> keep a cheat sheet like Erica does. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the fridge. <laughs> uh, any uh, interesting things you guys want to update our listeners on? Uh, I was in Alberta for like two and a half weeks. How was that? That was interesting. It mm. was fun, actually. But it was interesting. The politics there, very interesting. Like, to me, it's funny because you go from Ottawa to Alberta and it's like it's like crossing some like a re- some type of reality line or something like that. It's like two different existences Mm -hmm. and um yeah they're not really happy with Ottawa or Trudeau which I knew would happen like there's nothing I don't think there's anything Trudeau can do to make Albertans happy Mm -hmm. they're they hate him because he's a Trudeau but um uh the economy is pretty is not so great over there Mm -hmm. and um I'm pretty sure that the NDP is not going to get back in and um, Jason Kenney prob- and his party probably will. That's my prediction. That I don't think would surprise anyone. No, it should surprise no one at about now. Um, I do think that Jason Kenney runs the the CPC with Doug Ford. Um, I feel like Andrew, Sh- like I <laughs> barely hear that man's name. Like nobody talks about him in Alberta. Sure. Yeah. 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 Okay. But he'll win regardless. That's not about who Andrew Shear is. He could win regardless. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. he would be the official head, but I'm pretty sure the policies are coming from those two. Right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like like people are good. Um. Shout out to everybody in Alberta I saw and those I didn't see. So yeah, that was my. It was relaxing. And fun at the same time. It was the best, actually. Wow. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Anything uh, from your break, Amy? No. I have adult braces now. That's about all that's new in my life. How about you, Aaron? Uh, <laughs> that was it. Yeah. <laughs> that was all I got. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> how are you adjusting to your braces? Oh, they're fine. Yeah. Of you can hardly the see them. Orthodontic things I've had them done in the last year. They're, they're not bad. I, you know, the biggest thing is that I already look not my age and I find that like difficult professionally speaking. Yeah. Um, like I'm dreading me having to meet with some of the mm. with so, uh, folks, that specific, not even people above me, but or arbitrators or, or whatever, but more so like people I represent because I think they're, right. you know, I don't know. Who is this child? I'm a little insecure about it. Yeah. But I feel like you have an authoritative presence. Maybe. Yeah. I do carry a knapsack that's really undercutting. (laughs) (laughs) I got ID'd at the casino like the day I got the braces put in. And they looked at my ID and were like, oh, we were way off. 
mouth. Like, yeah. And then I looked at myself in like a reflection. I was like, oh, the backpack and the braces. Fuck. <laughs> it's not really it's like just slacker jeans. I was like, this is it's not helping things. Um, my break was good. I went back to Vancouver. Was and how was that? Cold and rainy. Just damp all you the time. You went to a Seahawks game. I didn't go to a Seahawks game. I was jealous. Yeah, Seahawks Chiefs. Oh, that one. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Oh. It was so Wow. Yeah. That must have been amazing. Yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to stop it here for anybody who doesn't want, like, know anything about football so we don't, like, yeah. bore everybody to tears. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was a it was a fun game. Um, the Seahawks won, and just like the the energy in the stadium was crazy. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that's cool. all I got. Sierra didn't come out and do a little ditty. No. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> Sierra. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Let's get into it. Oh, so last week, the RCMP continued their colonialization efforts, this time specifically against against the Wet'suwet'en peoples by going after their Unisatan camp in northern British Columbia, arresting 14 people and demolishing structures. I just want to give um, a disclaimer right now that i'm sorry for any of the mispronunciations because i have spelled these out phonetically and i apologize anyway so the wet'suwet'en peoples were defending their land against the development of the coastal gas link natural gas pipeline the land protectors are the wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs and their people who want to ensure that their lands are protected so they can continue to practice their rights to hunting fishing, trapping, and gathering, and exercise their right to clean air and water and a healthy environment. Neither the elected chief and band councils that support the pipeline, nor the federal or provincial governments, nor even Coastal Gas Link ever obtained the consent of the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs and their supporters. So Amy, you uh, brought this to our attention and some many other articles in non-traditional media like the Globe and Mail um so yeah what what made you kind of bring this to our attention and like obviously it was a very big story all over twitter i was gonna say i hope i didn't bring it here no no, no but like <laughs> you you fought for this to be included this week yeah, and yeah, of course totally. it was all over twitter um for those of you who live on twitter earlier this week and um particularly from like the the aptn side and the now toronto side yeah so there's um you know a lot that has been written about this from from an outsider in perspective in the mainstream media that I think has done a pretty poor job of explaining um, what's really at stake and and understanding the um, uh, legal and moral frameworks that like exist here and and so there and and it is difficult to understand um, because it is it is you know atypical to what we've been I guess educated on and there is also a lot of intentional misinformation that is also out there about who has authority um in in bands and in nations uh to speak for uh first nations people so the a lot you know i i would like to point folks to find out more about how this system works but 
and the Supreme Court has written multiple times about it and there have been rulings. So there actually isn't as much ambiguity as we're being led to believe. But essentially in this on this specific area of territory, um, the Wet'suwet'en people uh, have a uh, title. They are, it's unceded, unsurrendered territory. There's no treaty, uh, but they do have a title to the land and they have sovereignty over the land, meaning that the their own the system that they have in their community um, and then um, is this governing system. It's not the system that's dictated through the First Nation, uh, through the um, Indian, Indian Act. Act, that how it mm-hmm. set band councils, elected band councils, and kind of imposed them on First Nations people. Uh, there is a band council that allegedly has given consent for the pipeline or given approval for the pipeline. I think that's also a little bit disputed about what, what that exactly entails, but they don't have any jurisdiction over the land that we're talking about. Oh, okay. And that... that it really does rest with the hereditary chiefs. Mm. Um, and, you know, when you have title to the land, it really does mean that the RCMP have no authority to step foot, set foot there. Um, they also had sought, the Canadian government and the company had sought uh, an injunction to have access to the land. Um, at the end of the week, uh, the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs did allow some soft access to the land. But even that question of whether or not, you know, I mean, I don't think the courts have really any say over how, uh, over, you know, issuing an injunction on a governing, on a body that they have no jurisdiction over. So like a colonial court is now telling indigenous people how they should run their own territories. Really fucked up, right? So question, um, are are we are you saying that the court has the court has zero jurisdiction over the land? No, I'm saying that but that's I mean, look, that's not that's obviously not the position of the Canadian government. Okay. But I think that is a, it's that's a position that you could argue. Okay. So and that's the position that they are arguing. Unfortunately, you'll have to do it through the courts, but Right. So, in other words, um the like who has jurisdiction over the land is in dispute. Not really. Uh I mean, the I, I, th- I don't think there is any dispute. It's about um, whether or not... It, well, anyway, there, there, in reality, there's no dispute. Okay. Because I'm trying to... My, uh, what I'm trying to get at is um, do they have a sovereign... Like, is there a sovereignty um, understood or well, is it's, it, it's been defined in more than one Supreme court decision that one specifically addressing the Wet'suwet'en people, which is the Dalgamuk decision from 1997, um, that does acknowledge what title means and the extent of what sovereignty means in those terms. I see. And then there are more recent decision, uh, that Tcholet uh, Nation has a decision as well about similar land rights that, um, you know, more or less says the same thing about what title means and, and to what extent. And, and, and all of this is mean? also, uh, I'm not going to, it's going to take forever to explain <laughs> that. <laughs> well, it's kind of the, the, the crux of, the ar- of any argument, right? Like, is there, so for, I guess what I'm asking, I'm just trying to drill down to what is accepted and what is not. Like, what well, is accepted I mean, and what's in dispute? It's in dispute because you can litigate anything and force a dispute no, and no, not no. respect title, right? No, no, the no. The Canadian government's refusing to respect title. I see. Okay. Right? Okay. So there That's like, what I there, wanted to get to. Okay. Good. Go ahead. 
the other uh, frustrating thing about this has been um, just a sort of uh, this whole conversation that's being had in the media about this question of like some sort of rule of law, quote unquote, that needs to be, um, you know, imposed on the people there. It's complete like the idea that there are that it was illegal to have a blockade because of the the injunction. The reality is the blockade superseded the injunction. The injunction had to be revised and then they granted access. Those arguments are that that those facts aside, even just the proposition that there is some sort of rule of law that would allow the Canadian state to arrest you know, folks on a, on their own property where they do have title is really fucked up. But that seems to be the question and the posing that the Canadian media really wants to play with. And everyone's kind of like fallen for it or not really challenged it, including, you know, Jagmeet Singh, who had like a really unfortunate response, kind of really wishy-washy, but essentially acknowledging uh, or, or rather conceding wrongly that the 14 people who were arrested uh, were, in, you know, had were dissenting, but then still there was some sort of rule of law that ought to have been imposed upon them, which is complete and utter bullshit. Sorry, so he just both sides it, kind of? Uh, yeah, he was definitely talking about a, out of both sides of his mouth, and I mean, it's complex for politically for the NDP because of Alberta and because of, and I mean, also BC where this is happening, but more so because of the al- upcoming Alberta election. Um, but frankly, I mean, they're going to lose regardless. So why you would see these arguments and like be really weak on this issue or not find a better way to articulate, um, you know, the colonial nature of this, like, and even speak of it from terms of resistance or like those types of approaches. Um, and then you see there are fractures, obviously, within the NDP caucus because mm. Romeo Saganash was on uh, Twitter like immediately after that power and politics interview with Jagmeet Singh, essentially saying, look, like uh, this isn't a question of r- rule of law. And even if there even if it was the rule of law is the Canadian Constitution in Section 35, which grants uh, these rights for Aboriginal title. Um, and and like the, the RCMP is also not the rule of law. Right. No, they're not. Yeah. And in fact, that's the other conversation that we've gotten to, which is the historical root of the RCMP, ha. which is essentially to police indigenous bodies. I mean, that's the whole history Thank you. of the RCMP. And that's that's the main that's the whole intention behind why they exist. And still to this day, this idea that police are arbitrary, arbitrary, arbitrators of um, of the rule of law. Mm-hmm. And therefore, there is like this this implied fairness within them really does exclude the historical reasons why the RCMP existed in the first place. And it is it goes back to that old sort of, you know, I keep I know I keep saying this, but it's this like, let's protect all the settlers, all the white people from the brown and black hordes. It was more the brown hordes and then extended to the black hordes. But anyway, that is the point. So why we expect the RCMP to um, to treat people of color fairly is beyond me when that is the root of it. Their root is white supremacy. It is racism. Mm-hmm. I find it also interesting that the RCMP has also been, you know, policing um, this um this community for years and um how the rcmp assesses a risk of aboriginal movements depends proportionately on how successful they are in that movement like that's fucked up that is just fucked up 
And so th the more sort of, of um, support and the more media they get is, is, more be is how they assess a risk. It's not mm -hmm. criminality. Mm -hmm. Like, like let that sink in. Yeah. So there are actually yeah. two uh, researchers from Carleton University, Jeffrey uh, Monahan and Miles Howe, who's at Queens, um, who have a report out that outlines in detail how the RCMP assess not just whole nations, but individual activists based on political beliefs, personality traits, and even their use of social media. And Which I found, like, the social media part for me was really interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and Especially I, because of the reason why. Yeah, so the whole idea, again, it's not, they s explicitly in, in the records that they were able to get through ATIP uh, say point blank that this isn't a question of criminality the rcmp is in fact more focused on the ability of groups to create and craft a counter narrative to one that suggests whatever police do uh is across the board legitimate um so anything challenging that narrative that's what they're afraid of and they've done this across the country and they the, so this report monitors like um you know ha the policing of um in First Nations and, and other Indigenous folks uh, across the country who doing, you know, anti-fracking activism and, and things like that. Um, any sort of land protectors. And, you know, the, in, in their reports, they've even sort of essentially identified um, uh, the Wet'suwet'en uh, community as being um, in, you know, one of the, what did they say? Essentially, they call them rad like extremist radicals uh -huh. or something to that effect. Um, and they've been monitoring to see how popular, how responsive, um, you know, the public has been to to their uh, to their efforts. Right. Yeah. They just basically they're monitoring these people so to see their social media. So they to see if the public is supportive of their movement, because mm -hmm. that's just means that it's going to be one harder for them. And oh, oh, no, heaven forbid that like non black and brown people support them. Yeah. Yeah. that challenges their status quo yeah, yeah. and he, and they're protecting you know capital this is the the main theory the the main argument yeah. is that they're actually protecting corporations and capital before individuals or or even borders or or people um it's it's really about uh economic interests absolutely above um, all else so yeah and so um prime minister trudeau uh was doing his town hall tour and that he does every January. Um, and uh, he was in British Columbia um, where he, you know, was trying to show that there was a need for a different relationship with First Nations peoples, saying, quote, the way we are doing resource development, construction, exporting of our resources is changing in this country. And so given the government's big focus in the last election... Uh, and in their first mandate, since we are officially in an election year, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> what does this do for their their hopey, changey, sunny ways reconciliation agenda? They're so full of shit. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> like, Erica was just waiting for me to stop talking. <laughs> I was like, "Come on, Aaron." <laughs> They're so full of shit. And you know what? When they started this sunny, changey ways, I smelled bullshit. But I gave them their year or their eight months or whatever 
to to prove they're so full of shit and it just goes to show that justin trudeau's approach to reconciliation is a colonial one it is oppressive and you know just because he puts on a smiley little face around it doesn't make it less oppressive i mean what I would like to know what Justin Trudeau's definition and his vision of reconciliation looks like. That's what I would want to know. That's my fucking question for him. I hear he's also calling up like random Canadians too. Yeah, like he's calling them up on the phone. He'll spend like 10 to 15 minutes with each of them. I'm like, my phone call would take 30 seconds because he will hang the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be like, so what does your... What does reconciliation look like to you? And how do indigenous people fit into your little vision, your viewpoint? Because I don't see it much different from, the, from all the other ones. What's he doing? What has he done for them lately? That's Listen, my question. He's just saying the word reconciliation a lot. I have my arms folded because I'm in a huff. <laughs> well, I think the idea of reconciliation is is bullshit and it's being exposed as such. Like there aren't basic rights or basic acknowledgement of, you know, things that have already been gained by, um, you know, I mean, even here, the Wet'suwet'en people fought for recognition of their hereditary chiefs and of their traditional system and spent, you know, I'm sure tens, like at least a decade getting to the Supreme Court, like getting you know, a case together, fighting the federal government, eventually making it to the Supreme Court. Um, And, you know, for the Canadian government to not get their uh, prior consent and approval as is required by international law, as, uh, you know, as is required by our own constitution to to run this, you know, pipeline through is just like the base minimum, um, you know, of, of like, you know, of what's of what they're of what's owed right um the other big example of like how shitty they are and how behind like i mean you see the the battles and the uh black sock is waged against the federal government around funding for uh young people and education for uh and just just government general government spending on young people uh, comparison comparing how indigenous people uh children rather get less funding federal funding um than than other uh children in Canada and the government's still fighting tooth and nail not to pay out what the courts have found that they owe um and it's been a couple of years now since she they won they were successful on the first uh uh I remember in that, that case they're, st- they're yeah. still fighting not to pay which is wild um, it's gross actually. and so there are all sorts of examples of like basic you know indigenous rights that need to be respected before you have um, any real conversation about um, reconciliation. reconciliation. There's a good piece on that in the star by uh, Tanya Talgak. And uh, the other thing I was going to mention is that there is also a, an article that's resurfaced from uh, uh, Arthur Manuel, who's an indigenous leader and activist who, who's since passed, but there's an, an article and n- a number of books that he's written around how the rule of law in Canada is essentially white supremacy as the rule of law that I think, you know, people should start engaging with writing coming from the indigenous community and you know like stop fucking with rec- this reconciliation narrative that and Trudeau's trying to shove down our throats ain't it's nobody bullshit. know the history of canada like like indigenous writers like mm-hmm. i i'm i'm like i i've read some stuff and i'm like for real 
Oh my gosh. Second of all, um, I have a question. So where's the environment minister in all this? <laughs> Is she silent? No, <laughs> she's wearing an Enbridge, uh, you know, apron and chilling out at the Calgary stand. Because she's full of shit too. That's like, I feel like you only see her at photo ops. Yeah, Absolutely. and they're bad yeah. photos too in ugly, like dim lit areas. And I'm like, really? You couldn't even use like, I mean, a, a decent picture? Like, Anyway, that's besides the point. But <laughs> she is, I noticed that um, when heavy shit comes along, yep. she's silent and Trudeau takes over. It's but funny. they don't want to tie these two narratives together. No. That's an intentional effort. True. But I think that also should make you really suspect about when they talk about uh, the environment. Absolutely. Because there is a clear cognitive dissonance in how they govern on all of these things. Yeah. Because yeah. especially like on her social media, it's yeah. all like, oh, like clean water day. And yeah. Whatever. Hashtag. Yeah. Like I'm 12. Yeah. Anyway. But um, I did want to say, you know, it's I think everyone should uh, first of all, just go straight to the source. There's been a lot of great social media activity um, of, you know, from from folks from the community, from Wet'suwet'en who are, are, are keeping up to date. And there's been a lot of great solidarity um, efforts across the country. And this is obviously the exact thing the RCMP is, is trying to uh, <laughs> prevent from happening is is this story resonating and people actually, you know, turning up for this issue and and trying to, um, uh, you know, coalesce behind uh, this com this uh, First Nation community. So if you have time and, and keep on watch, because there I know there are some upcoming events in Ottawa and elsewhere across the country. Yeah, because the uh, the arrests of the 14 people earlier this or earlier last week um, sparked some more pro kind of protests yeah, across the country. Yeah, but it's not, you know, they've been released, but it's not over. Like yeah. this is, you know, they've, and the hereditary, hereditary chiefs have allowed, you know, what they've called soft access, but there are, I think there's still more resistance efforts mm -hmm. to come. So it's, it's far from over. Absolutely. And there's a, obviously a much bigger question that's still at stake, even if they do manage to build, which we probably will through the territory. This will be uh, a longstanding, yeah fight it's gonna be quite the election year hmm. mm -hmm. all right so a saudi teenager who fled her family and got stranded at a bangkok airport arrived in canada this weekend after being granted asylum rahaf muhammad al-kanun who is 18 renounced islam which is punishable by death in saudi arabia canada had accepted a request from the united nations high commissioner for refugees to take in Rahaf Mohammed Al-Kanun, who grabbed international attention earlier last week after she barricaded herself in a Bangkok airport hotel room to resist being sent home to her family. Canada's Foreign Affairs Minister, Christia Freeland, greeted her at the Toronto airport, introducing the teenager as, quote, a very brave new Canadian. <sighs> You go first this time. Right? <laughs> <laughs> With a sigh like that, how could she not? Erica, what? What? What a bullshit government. Like, I, I can't even... You know, you you think that Christian Freeland would be in fucking China by now. Like, I'm just saying. Like, I... I, I, I like, I, I just... I don't... Under, okay, I understand. I understand the the, you know... I understand the story arc they're trying to create. Um, and I understand that they're trying to show Canada as a place where 
you know, give us your hungry or you're tired and they're doing this anti-Trump thing, you know, this contrast. But we just talked about an issue where they have not even respected um, like basic <laughs> human rights. So I'm not sure what they're trying to do with this. I, I really don't. I, I just, I, <sighs> I, <clears throat> I yeah, can't. yeah. I mean, I think that there are a number of countries who were asked. I think you know, there's a lot um, of activism in Australia around this, and they're disappointed that they did, their government didn't step up. And there, you know, there's a lot to be said about the work of of UNHCR and in, in getting this going. Um, I mean, yeah, it's great that she's been given asylum. Like that's the basic minimum but the fact that they've turned it into like this huge photo op like her being greeted at the airport and all this sort of shit um it's exactly what they did with the syrian refugees absolutely and the, but they you know th they're still have not made any and and in fact you know using language um some of the the things that you know other things christian freeland had said about it which is you know this is part of our fight global fight protecting girls and women meanwhile they're giving you know a they have a billions of dollars of arms worth going to saudi arabia to wage war in yemen killing a lot of young innocent girls and women um you know part of a huge like you know and so that th that's just so absurd and, and you see this contradiction constantly with with the west and and canada in particular you know like they you know people love to talk about the stories of deserving immigrants and deserving re refugee and asylum seekers, uh, you know, like Rafa and like Malala, and that you don't want to talk about how Canada and the U.S. are so implicated in destroying the countries those people are from, um, and and in fact, you know, limiting their opportunities. You know, um, the the example there is uh, someone who had tweeted this some time ago, and it just like really resonated with me. Like, you know, we like to celebrate you know, women and young girls uh, who, you know, come to the West, like looking for education. But meanwhile, you know, like the Americans bombed, you know, all the, the universities in Iraq and like destroyed, you know, debt, like centuries worth of literature and writing and academics in part created by women who had, a, you know, a place in that society and instead, you know, destroyed those types of opportunities. And, um, you know, we don't, it, it's just, it's just such bullshit that every time I see that, I just got to cringe. Yeah, we, we, I think the Canadian government and a little bit of like society likes to think, see these things as on like the micro level and not the larger mm -hmm. macro level. Good point. Yeah. Um, that like, oh, well, we're doing this one thing, but they're not, they don't understand the like downstream effects of other policy issues that, you know, have ripple effects on other things. I don't like that they use vulnerable communities just to prop up their own, their own brand. Mm -hmm. Like, like talk about using women and girls mm -hmm. my god yeah and they're really good about talking as you had said at the beginning about stuff abroad and talking and preaching in a very paternalistic way um and that's not to dismiss what happens in saudi arabia because it's like a really shitty state and a terrible mm. regime and terrible for women but you know you have a re a botched murder and mis murdered and missing indigenous women um uh commission that was completely uh bought from the beginning you know years of neglect and still no accountability still no answers still uh, you know a lot of grieving families and and communities uh because of you know a direct assault and um, because of colonial attitudes towards indigenous women and girls here in in canada um and there's just no 
uh, inward reflection. There's no ownership. There's just platitudes. And they don't even want to admit that structural discrimination occurs. Mm-hmm. So they want. They're happy now. This and this is such. This is such left wing fucking racism. Is that they want to use women from vulnerable communities of color Mm -hmm. to prop up their own brand of being good Canadians Mm -hmm. who are good moral authorities and don't want to clean up what's in their backyard. Mm -hmm. And this is my problem is that at any time, any time we say as much, we're silenced and we're silenced by a bunch of people who don't even know what the fuck they're talking about mm-hmm. in terms of what it's like to live in Canada as a woman of color. Mm-hmm. They know nothing. Yet they want to silence us and the way they do it is by saying, "Well, would you rather be in Saudi Arabia where you can't say mm-hmm. anything at all?" And I'm sick mm-hmm. of it. I'm well, just and sick then, of it. And then the reality is we do again it's obviously not to the level of saudi arabia but to say like we know we've exposed we've just talked about how the rcmp literally spies on citizens um and tries to gather information based on their social media social media activity about their politics and the type of activism they engage in labels them as radicals monitors and then arrests them so i'm not really sure how much it's you yeah. know like how different, how different it, is. it is yeah um it's all about control and power and that's how governments will almost always operate but like you know they're they're picking you know they're picking a certain type of 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 state and they are ruling with this a similar uh, approach of of an us and them sort of mentality and you know this isn't new like the monitoring of activists has happened for a long time and it's not it's indigenous activists it's environmentalists and there's a number of other folks that have been monitored this is why there was you know such an outcry around broadening the scope of what the rcmp and and other csis and csic could do under c51 with the, the harper government that trudeau never repealed um and and so now we actually even though have he promised to really expansive, yet another promise yeah, really broken. expansive powers that they share with other states right yeah so it's not even it's not even just limited to you want to know where in, your tax dollars are going to they're spying on you and that's it's expensive <laughs> It is. They have that fancy new CSIS building and everything. Now. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So we're going to end on a... Erica's probably going to get real fired up on this one. <laughs> Over the holidays, um, Lifetime aired the Surviving R. Kelly documentary, which was six parts, and it detailed the sexual abuse allegations against the singer R. Kelly. Um which I also found out a lot of um, kids in their 20s don't know who he is. Oh, they're so lucky. (laughs) (laughs) What a blessing. That's okay. They have Drake. (laughs) Um, Since then, many musical artists' collaborations with the singer are being judged under a different light. Ensnared in this controversy is Lady Gaga, who is in the middle of an Oscar run, Mm -hmm. um, and in 2013 recorded a duet with R. Kelly called Do What You Want With My Body. Ew. Right? (laughs) Uh, gross Uh, Gaga has recently apologized and released the following statement quote I stand behind these women 1000% believe them know that they are suffering and in pain and feel strongly that their voices should be heard and taken seriously what I am hearing about the allegations against R. Kelly is absolutely horrifying and indefensible as a victim of sexual assault myself I made both the song and video at a dark time in my life 
My intention was to create something extremely defined and provocative because I was angry and still hadn't processed the trauma that had occurred in my own life. The song is called Do What You Want With My Body. I think it's clear how explicitly twisted my thinking was at the time. If I could go back and have a talk with my younger self, I'd tell her to go through the therapy I have since then so that I could understand the confused post-traumatic state that I was in. Or if therapy was not available to me or anyone in my situation, to seek help and speak as openly and honestly as possible about what I'd been through. We can't, I can't go back, but I can go forward and continue to support women, men, and people of all sexual identities and of all races who are victims of sexual assault. I have demonstrated my stance on this issue and others many times throughout my career. I share this not just to make excuses for myself, but to explain. Till it happens to you, you don't know how it feels, but I do know how I feel now. I intend to remove this song off iTunes and other streaming platforms. I will not be working with him again. I'm sorry both for my poor judgment when I was young and for not speaking out sooner. I love you. <laughs> sorry. Why didn't she just call? It's not an apology. She should just call it me. <laughs> like I will me. say it's better than a lot of other apologies. Uh, it On is. On the apology scale, it's it is. pretty good. It is. I acknowledge that. I acknowledge that this was probably a real apology. Yes. I'm not saying it's not a real apology. Definitely better than Kevin Hart's apology. What was that? That was <laughs> Which an apology. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> but I've apologized so many times. It's I like, no. Can't, I can't do it again. I've only, I did it once. I can't do it again. And you can't find proof that I did it, but I <laughs> promise that I did. Fuck Kevin Hart, too. <laughs> so why is this a problem? So many black women... While acknowledging that Lady Gaga did apologize, although it was like several days after the documentary aired um, and is now pulling the song from streaming service, many are left feeling that this is just not enough and she should have known R. Kelly's reputation before working with him. Yes. So in 2002, R. Kelly was indicted on 21 charges related to child pornography resulting from... Um, an anonymously sent videotape of him appearing to have sex with a young girl. In 2008, he was acquitted of those charges. Plus, there was the P tape. There is so many things that, like, are, how could you not know? Like, this is my question. Also, 2013 is not that long ago. Like, the side by side photo on Facebook of Lady <laughs> Gaga from 2013 to 2019 would be the same. Yeah, that's absolutely. how little time has passed. Yeah. Like, I like, don't know this stuff was known and it was known at the time. And I remember like reading like a million think pieces, calling her out for for doing that collaboration. And also it was at mm -hmm. the same time, like I think like a few months later, Terry Richardson, who they collaborated with, was like charged. She has yet to call out Terry Richardson, by the way. I noticed there are a lot of us. Uh, celebrities who haven't and it's it's just so fucked up like people want what do you want like absolute proof like a uh, like a, a conviction <laughs> yeah so you, like i don't understand five years ago lady gaga would have been 27 so like that's the age of an adult and she was a professional totally. it it's not like she was 22 yeah. it's not when she was like her very first album she wasn't Kesha. No, Basically. she wasn't. She wasn't Kesha, and she, oh, she, at that point, yeah, she was a big fucking deal. She yeah, was, yeah, she didn't have to collaborate with R. Kelly. She didn't have to collaborate with anyone. She was uh, Lady Gaga. People were collaborating with her. But this is the other thing. At that time, apparently, her her career was going down the tubes, and so she decided that she was going to blacken herself up to get some new, um, some new fans and to sell more records, and did mm. so with. 
a fucking pedophile. Like, like, yeah. of all the people, of all the people that she could have collaborated with, she chose R. Kelly to make a quote-unquote real R&B song. Get the fuck out of here. I'm just, I, I'm tired. And the thing is, like, the whole R. Kelly, Tara Richardson, Terry Richardson, who's just gross. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole, the Terry Richardson thing, you're telling me she didn't know? How the fuck does she not know? Every, yeah, everyone, everyone knew. knew. Everyone knew. Yeah. It was an, it's like how everyone knew about Tony Clement. It's, not, it's, not it's just, everybody. It's not, no, it's worse than that. It's not that everyone knew and there was a whisper campaign. Yeah. Everyone knew and it was written about in mainstream media. Mm-hmm. Like it That's was true. pretty disambiguous. Yeah. Um, but I really like how, so there's, so, uh, you know, there's activists close to us who've used similar excuses and then people like, I was thinking today about Ryan Seacrest and the mm-hmm. pussy grabbing tape. He was also like, I was so young. I was but a young man of 35. And you're like, are you fucking kidding me with this shit? But like 27 people being like, oh, 2012, 2013 was so long ago. You can't hold what I said then. I was so young where it's like his R. Kelly's victims are like 13 and 14 year old mm-hmm. girls. Like fuck he was you, married to fuck, a 15 year old. Fuck you talking about like you were too young to understand at 27 when like. You were fully grown. Like you get to be when you're white, you get to be young your whole fucking yeah. life yep. and yeah. sheltered and privileged yep. and not accountable for it's shit. Like how they talk about Mark Zuckerberg too. Like, like he's like he's some li- some kid. It's not like exactly school. how they talk it's about a the Trump- fucking grown man but who runs Trump- a billion dollar company. But Trump kids are the same way. That's true. Just because it's oh my god, I just I so just, yeah, yeah. Terry Richardson um, has been accused by multiple models of sexually assaulting or exploiting them during fashion shoots since two thousand and one. Yeah, like so there were twelve years of allegations against him, and he even did her movie. Oh yeah, that's right. Which was not that long ago, even. What movie? Some she did a movie? Lady Gaga documentary. It's on Netflix. Oh. I don't I don't listen to Lady Gaga, so I don't look I love Lady Gaga, but she definitely was one forced to apologize because of the timing and because of her mm-hmm. Oscars campaign. Yeah, she had to say something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and it's not to say she doesn't feel remorseful. She probably feels shitty. Yeah. But like, that's not enough. And like, I mean, it's whatever. It's an apology. But, you know, it's about accountability and it's about power and what you do with it. And you gave this guy in a greater platform. We hadn't heard from R. Kelly in a while. And suddenly I yeah. know. I was shocked. He's popping up in 2013. It'd been a while since like, he'd done how, anything. How? That was weird. But yeah, because it was after 2008, strange a lot choice. of people were like, eh, Hard pass I on think, that. I yeah. think I'm going to pass on this. Oh, but no, not Lady Gaga. Oh, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. She not only... Okay, so her career rose after that, but so does his. All of a sudden, R. Kelly started showing up places, and you're like, how the fuck did this happen? We thought we had buried him. Yeah. yeah. And for all the black people out there of a certain age, I just want you, I I don't want to hear, I've gone through the whole R. Kelly this and that and the other. You all remember Vibe Magazine printed that marriage certificate with Aaliyah in 1994 or something or five. So we all knew about it for at least 20 years. Mm. Okay. I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah. The whole thing is stupid. Oh, and Erica, so you were tweeting about this. Uh, Yeah. And uh, you got a whole bunch of little, little monsters. I hate her stands. I hate her stands. They, okay, I got accused of being homophobic 
because I wouldn't um, accept Lady Gaga's apology. Pardon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet you're a homophobe. That's it. That's how it came about. And I was just like, and that's a real leap. Well, it was in the context of Laura DeWitt's tweet, which oh, was homophobic. Oh, right, 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 right. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, anyway, so the whole thing was um, I was just, I responded to a tweet that um, that talked about Lady Gaga's um, apology. And I said, yeah, da-da-da-da-da. Pretty much what I said here, basically it's not good enough. And then other people started digging up her tweets from before. And so then uh, then they accused me of being homophobic because I like my whole thing was that I'm just responding to somebody who was talking about a specific issue. I didn't go through her 2012 No, but she was, she was apologizing too. Yeah. And yeah. that was like the thing. And they were right. like, well, if you're not going to accept her apology, we can't accept your apology. Yeah. Because you, you said these things and therefore, you know, your apologies is like See? insignificant. Except Laura, Laura DeWitt's apology was like actually a lot more, like had a lot more accountability yeah. to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and like a real acknowledgement of what the issue was. Whereas like the Lady Gaga apology doesn't even grapple with like what the harm of well, her actions were. I thought mm-hmm. her apology was an apology. I, I honestly thought that it was an apology. So I just didn't say I didn't say anything about the apology. But be, I think the point is people are going out of their way to like bait people and y- like use the fact that like, yeah, we've all said shitty things. Mm-hmm. to mean that, you know, someone who is in a position of power or someone who puts out like, a, you know, milk toast apology, um, you know, has to be absolved automatically without really accounting for like, but by whom? Like not everyone has to accept every apology. There's no like societal response to each res- apology and like what are you doing it for in the context in which it's given and and the earnestness in which it's given but instead like you know there's just little G- gaga's little monsters like trolling twitter just to like kind of put it to people that they're being hypocritical when they choose not to accept her apology but that's not what being hypocritical is like it's it's not a tit for tat you know like like it's this tit for tat sort of like standing that I I just don't know where that developed and why the fuck do you care this much about Lady Gaga is my question people who are stands of things will like ride or die like people are such big fans of Lady Gaga like I saw some videos on Instagram from her concert Mm -hmm. when she opened up her residency in Vegas and Mm -hmm just like crying people like that type of fandom like Beatles level Michael Jackson level I never understood that I was just like you know I don't even feel that way about Michelle Obama because I acknowledge her you know problematic tendencies (laughs) like you know what I mean nobody's like you're not gonna love somebody like you shouldn't like people are flawed that's just Mm -hmm. people we we're flawed whatever I get it but like don't don't treat her like she's some she's a deity yes a deity exactly yeah anyway great so stay tuned for rant and receipts now we're moving on to rant and receipts this is actually a rebranded segment um 
instead of bringing just a story to share with the others, we are now going to bring a rant on a subject, uh, maybe a tweet, maybe a news article, maybe something that happened to us, um, maybe something someone sent to us on the internet. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> She's looking at me, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we're going to rant about it for a bit and then have some reactions from our friends here. So, uh, Amy. Oh, so wait a minute. The one time I bring something positive, okay, <laughs> cause I brought something positive this week. It's been and a negative. You can, you can, I can, I can, I will find it. I will find uh, it. Damn okay. it. Okay. All right, Amy. I'm just teasing. You, you, it's all good. Positive, a positive rant could be fun too. Um, mine is, uh, you know, a classic rant. Uh, so the new Congress is in place and has brought a lot of like really fun, dynamic new people, including Rashida Taleb, uh, who is the first Palestinian woman elected to Congress. Motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who is uh, uh, the representative from Dem- Democratic representative from Michigan. So, uh, you know, we have uh, a lot in common. Uh, she and I big fan, big, big fan here. Um, and you may recall or may have heard because it got a shit ton of play that on, uh, you know, January 4th, the day after she was sworn in, she referred, uh, to president Trump by saying it's time to impeach the motherfucker, uh, during a reception to report to her supporters. Of course, uh, cable news had a fucking field day with this. So did like every, you know, white liberal pundit who thought that that was too far. So it wanted to, uh, sort of police her speech. Um, Media Matters has found that uh, coverage of that, like her using motherfucker to refer to the president, got um, considerable, in fact, exactly five times more coverage than Representative Steve King, uh, you know, making white supremacist uh, comments, embracing white supremacy, essentially. He, you know, there's talk about him potentially being censured for his comments um he's you know now saying he's kind of he's never been racist but also that the word racist is overused which is like a really weird defense he's a total piece of shit didn't he say um well when did the words white supremacy become a bad thing i think at one point he did say he said a lot of shitty things for a really like it's not the first time that he's he's kind of been in the news but it's gone largely uh, ignored. Um, it's you know a glaring like this corruptency in in terms of how these two things have covered. But like it just you know goes to like what irked me more were some of the white liberal folks that I know who were tripping over themselves on Twitter to like be like oh no what a bad start like watch out you know you put a you put a target on your back when you talk like that and this is sort of what's going to bring down the uh, the left you know you have to uh, still be respectful we can't stoop to their level and it's like. This man, like, stole the fucking presidency. We can call him whatever we want. We're like, you know, this is uh, a perfectly legitimate way to call out someone who is being investigated right now. It's not like a cheap shot. It's like just an emphatic form of expression. Um, But you can kind of feel like how uneasy, um, you know, white liberals. And and it's the same thing with like uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez kind of being told to be reined in um, and like that, you know, her dynamic with Pelosi and and Schumer um, is being like a really kind of looked at right now that there people are asking them and they're they're kind of going out there to like rein her in and make sure that she's 
sticking to the script. And it's like, she, first of all, like neither Rashida Talib nor Alexandria Ocasio Cortez would have been elected had they like followed your fucking just script. About to the say, whole reason they yeah. won their seats is because of the like this way of of politicking that they have, which is like fresh, which is fucking real, which is which is earnest, which comes from real experience, and they're not holding back. And that's what's great about it. And if you don't fucking like it, well, you know, wait, wait a few more years and try to find another nominee to, to take their five out that you can find anyone as compelling. Um, but you can see like it makes people squeamish. And I fucking love that. I, I love how it makes people squeamish. I, and I, I'm and loving I, them. Yeah. I, I honestly like I don't know not to make it like too much of a thing, but I was definitely having a like I couldn't hear. I was like listening to the daily and I was like reading articles about Rashida Taleb wearing, um, you know, the, the traditional Palestinian tub, mm-hmm. um, which is like the, the embroidery d- dress. And there were, um, you know, uh, other representatives who are wearing, you know, their traditional outfits or, or doing different things. I mean, even, you know, um, Ocasio-Cortez was wearing her hoop earrings and, and referred to that as a statement. But like anytime there was mention of the tub, I was just like crying. I had to like I couldn't get through the first five minutes of that, like the daily episode from that day. I was just like, I can't. It's just too much. <laughs> but there's so there you go. There's a half positive rant for you there, Erica. Well, I, I love them. Mm-hmm. I think that I think they're fantastic role models for young women. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think that for so long we have been told the amount of times this is why if you shush me, the first thing you will get is dagger eyes. Mm-hmm. Okay? Don't you dare fucking shush me. Don't you tone mm-hmm. police me. And there's this tone policing, especially with older women to younger women mm-hmm. that yep. happens. Mm-hmm. And especially white women. And actually I you know you know, older black people do it too. But the, the point is, is that, is that all of your propriety has gotten us nowhere Mm -hmm. because if it had gotten us somewhere, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and, um, Talib is her last name, I think is would get, be getting no play. Yeah. The point is, is that the system is so fucked up and it's it disenfranchises so many people and a growing proportion of people that the idea that you cannot say certain things has gone out the window. Plus, we live in social media. And if you've ever been on Twitter, you've heard some things. Mm-hmm. OK, so we have the Internet we have and we just don't give a fuck. And you should fear us. You should fear all of all the men out there should fucking <laughs> fear us. And the reason reason is is because it is this i'm done with the propriety i'm i know how to be respectful to people Mm -hmm, but i'm not just going to be respectful just because you occupy a certain position Mm -hmm. i think what we're fighting against is this positional sort of deference to respect Mm -hmm. and honor Mm -hmm. and authority Mm -hmm. like especially when the authority is inherently flawed and being challenged exactly and the way that the presidency is being challenged and and i you know i i'm sorry i was remiss in not mentioning like this Reminded me as well of when Romeo Saganash in the parliament said, you know, yes. Prime Minister Trudeau doesn't give a fuck about indigenous people. Yeah. Yes. Which is a the very deserved comment. Clutching. Very deserved comment, though. And when we talk about civility, 
I mean, for, you know, white folks who are in positions of power and like are playing the game that's made in their rules and made in their name, you know, you decided what civility was like we're speaking truth to power. And if it's going to take a few cuss words to get people motivated and going and like really like, you know, raise like raise the specter of things in a different way and shift the paradigm into something more radical then like that's what's needed instead of playing continuing to play by your rules which were clearly designed to silence us well can we also talk about like the sexism behind like not wanting women to swear and being like oh well that's inappropriate because yeah. like that's not just like that's not how a lady speaks yeah fuck right off yeah <laughs> and a lot of this i just thought of something like a lot of this is reflection is a reflection of pedigree it mm. is the fact that pedigree is not is not policing the rules of propriety anymore. And that's what what people in who who have pedigree in positions of power are afraid of, because if they can't police that, then all hell breaks loose. Mm-hmm. They might have to have to actually, you know, be accountable for something. Yeah, so it, I think it'll be really interesting to see how this new freshman class of I'm excited Democrats kind of evolve over the next couple of years to see like whether or not they do kind of become a little bit more in line. Not like not they uh, they could never lose their what got them elected and that like panache, mm-hmm. but to see if they kind of start like toning it down just a touch. Yeah. Yeah, if they if they start falling in line or if they're going to, and I'm glad that let's there's place bets. I let's let's um, let's also remember that these women have each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what's been really beautiful. About it's it. really beautiful yeah. to see, and I I and I wonder if that will help galvanize them rather than. Um, having them fall in line because it's yeah. much easier to galvanize when there are other people like you like mm-hmm. right beside you mm-hmm. and i'm just excited to see the next you know s- instagram story <laughs> you mean uh beta o'rourke getting his teeth cleaned <laughs> i i don't know where he came from i don't see what the big deal is about him and that's another rant but it's just so funny that he was like oh i guess instagram i gotta be instagramming more that's what's working they're all for, following for them aren't they? So i'm like funny. funny like does like doesn't get why there's the yes. appeal. like no one wants to watch you fucking get your teeth clean dude but by the way good point i don't even like the dentist myself good point is that they're setting precedent yeah and um Everybody from Elizabeth Warren, I don't want to see your kitchen. Your office hours fine, but I don't want to see your kitchen. You're not that type of politician, let's be honest. Like, I don't get warm and fuzzy from you and relatable. I mean, I get it more than Hillary Clinton. Well, yeah. Yeah. But that's a low bar. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> like, you know, I I I find it very interesting how Instagram has become that I mean, Twitter will always be Twitter, yeah. but Instagram really has grown in terms mm-hmm. of its political influence, Absolutely. and I totally. I think it's it's very interesting to see. All right, so I'll go next. Um, so I want to rant today about <laughs> the new McLean's hmm. um, spread. Um, so McLean's is one of is I guess the only political magazine in Canada that goes in print. I guess. There are others. Walrus is still in print. Okay. Anyway, this is like the grown-up magazine or whatever. <laughs> I remember my dad getting it um, sent to the house when I was growing up. And uh, basically, it's a lot of white people writing shit. 
Um, so they put out a series or a special edition, the focus of this most recent version. Um, it's called What's Wrong with the Right and Left of Politics in Canada? The Both Sides. Yes, yes. Okay. And, uh, ah, yes, those two sides, the only ones that exist. Sorry. Yes. Um, so I just want to say a big fuck you because <laughs> <laughs> that was, I, didn't, I just didn't that see it coming. <laughs> <laughs> they, don't say fuck, Aaron. It's uh, not very ladylike. Uh, there's like a series of, I don't know, eight stories. Um, and no one actually from the left is is uh, represented. So we've, <laughs> we've got Terry Glavin, who is talking about, his story is called What the Yellow Vests Revolt Re- Revealed About the Sad State of the Left. Andre Domiz wrote, The left is constantly trying to outwoke itself. That's a problem. Anne Kingston writes, The political terms right and left are simplistic, damaging, and need to be retired. There's a story about a poll about how Canada's most polarized voters really, really hate Trudeau. No kidding. Uh, Paul Wells writes, Canada's angry, divisive politics are as old as Canada itself. Uh, Jen Gerson writes, how, oh God. how to harness the volatility, how to harness the volati- volatility of the populist right. Andrew McDougall writes, the question... Oh, fuck. There... <laughs> The question conservatives need to answer before they say anything. And the last one is another poll that writes is about one in four Canadians hate their political opponents. So the poll is like no fucking kidding. Um, But uh, so Andre Domiz is the only one that could be considered to be kind of left. Right. Ish. Okay. So let me just break in here and just say the whole problem is this right left dichotomy. Sure. And everybody is within a spectrum, right? Absolutely. So um, I understand what people are saying when they say polarize is that the the endpoints seem to be getting more and the distribution seems to be less even and seems to be more um, collected at the at the at sure. the end points. Fine, I get it. Okay, but this idea that there's left right and there's no in between. It I just, know. it just, it's, it's just terrible. And then they, they turn around and they write articles complaining about it. And I'm just like, that's bullshit. But yeah. anyway, carry on. So Andre Domiz basically writes that being a quote unquote leftist or being whatever, like woke is basically awful because oh, no. heaven forbid you have to like not be. You, you can't, so it, he writes, quote, while the core belief of the right do necessarily lead to the consolidation of power amongst some groups and the establishment of an underclass amongst others, the reality of being a principled conservative does carry some intangible benefits unrelated to either power or resources. One of them is that a slip of the tongue or break from the party line isn't usually grounds for social ejection. Another is that a large group of them can get together without a performed misunderstanding or sorry, a preformed misunderstanding of each other's experiences and intentions. They certainly aren't accosting each other on college campuses over something as ridiculous as the wrong ethnic group wearing dreadlocks. In other words, it's easy to be a conservative around other conservatives. The political left too often does not make it easy for newcomers to join their ranks and stay there. The left doesn't even make it easy for the old guard, someone like Oprah Winfrey to stick around. I'm sorry. What? Pardon me? So basically, we've got some people who are conservatives writing about, here's how conservatism and people on the right side of the political spectrum can uh, harness 
their political will and how they should and how um, Andrew Scheer should have taken um, conservatives and immigration policy and made it not about dog whistle, racism, whatever, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, stuck to more of the Harper era politics. Um, we've got some other people being like, oh, these things are too simplistic. And then we've got no one saying that the left, you know, maybe is good for higher taxes, will have better social programs or whatever. Any of these like ideas, there's no ideas, no policy being talked about. It's being like, oh, people care too much about like identifying people in the correct way or that they aren't, you know, being racist. I don't know. I don't, I don't, it would be I nice. Don't know. It would be nice if they actually did talk about like the economic underpinning of all this. Like the fact that economically speaking, you're finding more people at those endpoints too. It's mm-hmm. not surprising that it's reflected in the politics. So if mm-hmm. they're not talking about the economics mm-hmm. that go on underneath it, then I don't even know what they're saying. Yeah. So it's the sad state of the left. It's the left is outwoking itself. That's a problem. And then the rest is all like, oh, Canada's too divisive. Okay, cool. Where's anything good? About the left? Yeah, there's nothing. Well, I have, I have issues, okay? Well, but you can talk about like social, like there, there is definitely more of a fracture on the left that cuts across different lines though because of Mm -hmm. class and um, different social movements have not necessarily been able to get you know, folks on side and there's a lot of education work that needs to be happen and, and, and that's fine. But like, that's, that's more interesting than whatever the fuck this take is. And you're, and you're right. Like the, the, like the dumbest argument, the simplest argument. And I've had this with a lot of other seemingly intelligent, frankly, quite intelligent people who are very progressive, quote unquote, who think that identity politics, again, scare quotes, uh, <laughs> is uh, is a distraction from the central economic they or socialist issues. Yeah, they're white. Um, but that's because and 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 I f- and then you have to like reframe it for them and be like, right? But people talk about identity because that that's how they experience the economy. Mm-hmm. And you can't talk about you, you know socialize them. or public anything or changing taxation or changing the way we work or unionization or anything else without first talking about who's excluded and who's included and on what basis and why and how do we bring them in. Because uh, there is no one-size-fits-all universal policy that we're going to get tomorrow for everything that we have. There absolutely isn't, right? Because there are these systemic barriers in place. That's actually the qu- quickest and shortest way I've ever explained this. And we only need to have to cut that <laughs> out so I can like send this to people as needed. But like, you know, it's unfortunate be- that it even takes having to explain that to otherwise very intelligent folks who should be able to see that for themselves. But, of course, because you have the mainstream media and publications like McLean's tripping over themselves to talk about identity politics and failing to understand it or failing to actually talk to people about what actually does concern them about identity and exclusion, um, you know, this is this is our only understanding of identity politics. It's in, and it's intentional. There's mm-hmm. an intentional effort to mischaracterize what people mean when they talk about um, identity. This identity is at the core of a human existence. So this idea that I- identity can be divorced from anything is beyond me. You're in Absolutely. a fucking society. Like, how are you like identifying people is a thing too. Like, I don't understand how like you said, how otherwise intelligent people treat identity as a sideshow. 
And that's what angers me. And I know they're white because, because their identity is fucking all over this place. Say, yeah, yeah, okay? Yeah. So it's easy for you to say your... Because that's what they're saying. They're saying that your identity is a sideshow, mm. but theirs is the rule of law. Theirs is the culture. So mm -hmm. their identity is okay, but yours is a sideshow. Get the fuck out of here. You know, and secondly, on top of that, like, Apparently, this is a rant. Um, <laughs> um, it's not even yours yet. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, and, and to be honest, like, and I lost my second thing, but I'm sure it will come up at some point. But to be honest, um, <laughs> going back to this idea of pedigree and who runs Canadian media is pedigree. Mm -hmm. And everything is from their point of view. You know why they're fucking failing? It's because of that. You know, McLean's is up for sale. I don't know who wants to buy this rag at this point, okay? Because it's a rag. It, it, it always pretends, McLean's always pretends that it wants to, to investigate the hard-hitting issues, but they, don't ha they obviously don't have the personnel to do so. And when they do, they frame it in such idiot language and idiot context that you are not talking about the issue. You're talking about people's reactions to the issue. That's it. That's mm -hmm. what McLean's talks about. It doesn't talk about shit. Because like you said, it's, there's no policy in here. None. The other thing, too, is that the left does the hard work of being inclusive. And when you include a whole bunch of different identities, you're going to have conflict. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. how it is. The right, what do they do? As I'm using the left and right dichotomy, I understand that I'm doing this because I just said it was bullshit. But anyway, um, people on the right just naturally exclude people. So they don't have any problems. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I mean, you just take a look at the faces on the right and the faces on the left the gender the they're all the same people the left is doing the hard work mm -hmm. and it's going through the growing pains of doing that hard work yeah and like if you're trying to like to say that the left is like will shut people out sure that happens but also those people kind of are shitty people like yeah. if you're around people who are actually like willing to like call you in mm -hmm. and like like in help inform you like give you a book here like do this whatever then there those are people who actually care yeah and it happens within feminism it happens in any sort of movement yeah people don't know how to park their ego and like relinquish some power and that's why yeah. you know they create a sense of ex exclusion even though that's not what's intended yeah um because they've never had to give anything up yeah and then they make it all about them yeah as gaga did <laughs> that's basically what it comes down to so yeah mclean's i can't wait till they just canadian media just no i can't wait till they shutter that it shit. will implode in itself for sure okay so i have a nice little thing <laughs> so um anybody out there who's a missy elliott fan i got something for you as i am so veteran MC and songwriter Missy Elliott will be the first female rapper to be inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Yay! And I'm super happy about this because I think Missy Elliott is 
one of the greatest feminists that's never actually recognized mm. as a feminist. Mm. So she brought us like numerous hits that changed rap landscape forever. It changed female MCs forever. Um, her collaborations with Timbaland and the late Aaliyah mostly changed the sound of rap forever. So I don't think there could have been a Pharrell without a Timberlake, basically. And a Timberlake, um, Aaliyah, and Missy Elliott kind of triumvirate there. So her greatest feminist, feminist accomplishment? Well, she gave black girls the social permission to be different and live unapologetically out of the box. She also gave women the permission to embrace their sexuality on their own terms and standards. So if you, I'm going to name some songs, you can go look them up or download them or whatever, or if you have them, just bop to them. Um, some of the sex positivity feminist hits include Pussycat, One Minute Man, and Work It. Um, she was also body positive before it was a thing. If you've ever seen the rain, the super duper fly video, the rain, um, she donned a trash bag with her dark skin and full plus size body while chanting me, I'm super fly, super duper fly. And um, she basically rejected male dictated beauty standards. And I'm telling you, nobody, no black woman had makeup on point like Missy Elliott. I gotta say, I remember like when her, what's her 2000 album? She had, an, she had a song called I'm a Bitch. She had like, I think, oh shoot, I'm seeing it now. I think it's called, it might be called I'm a Bitch, the, the album, but I probably messed that up. Um, she, um, I remember looking at that album and just like being awed at her makeup because that was makeup mm -hmm. that I as a black woman could not access mm -hmm. in Shoppers Drug Mart or in um, it's different for y'all now. I'm I, the young ones. I'm just like, you guys have everything. You could not get dark skin like makeup for dark skin mm -hmm. until basically Matt came along wow. and Missy Elliott ha like and Mac had like that's what she used so we all used back because of that so like congratulations to missy elliott i can see why she's not a notable feminist because feminist is still very white and white women don't recognize black women's accomplishment in feminism anyway hmm. um that was the rant part so yeah and in in advance of the grammys i just think that's a notable thing Absolutely. I, I loved listening to her and I wish she was making more music. Mm -hmm. I wish so too. Have you seen her on like Instagram and stuff lately? She looks fantastic. No. Oh Didn't God. she put out a song like last year? Yeah. She put out a couple of songs with um, Pharrell. Oh yeah. 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 So I like I'm waiting for two albums. I'm waiting for Missy and Rihanna because mm -hmm. Rihanna's due. I'm just saying mm -hmm. it's 2019. We're waiting. <laughs> yeah and it's interesting that those two women have notable makeup um connections hmm. great cool well uh that does it first episode 2019 first episode season three 
Yay. Um, follow us on social media, on Twitter, at Bad and Bitchy, on Instagram, at Bad and Bitchy Pod, Facebook, slash Bad and Bee Podcast, and email us, badandbeepod at gmail.com. Bye! Bye. 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 Bye.